Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Firm. I am Alex Gorman here with our other host, Lance Psycho. It's been a long time that we've done an Inside the Firm edition of Inside the Firm. We've been doing some homeowners edition and some other things like that. So happy to have everyone back and talk about our normal stuff, which is a wide range of randomness around entrepreneurial and construction. But if you're interested in that, and if you are an architect looking to get into construction, I recommend the architectsguide2.com. Why? Because we built it. Because we built it, we created it. Um, From our experience, the lessons that we learned to help you out to not make the dumb mistakes that we did. Architectsguide2.com. What else do we got, Al? Do we got anything else? Is it my turn to finally talk? Yeah. Do I have to talk? I only have uh, one of my reads ready. What about Red Rocket Ship? Should people get on the rocket ship? Okay, I will. Should people get on the rocket ship? Hang on. What's it called? Cover? I'm 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 running cover for you. Uh, Hey, if you're using AutoCAD, people are selling AutoCAD templates, and it makes sense because templates make you go so much faster and better. Mm -hmm. Um, But but bless your heart if you're using AutoCAD because... Bless it. Man, that is not not the way to go. Honestly, uh, if you are offended by that, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. So I said it. Uh, if you want to learn Revit and know what you don't know, go to uh, RevitRocketShip.com. Again, that's RevitRocketShip.com. And Lance, you want me to keep stalling for you? This Are episode you is also hey. brought to you by ArtCat.com. As more businesses and tenants demand green design in their building buildings, lead certification is more important than ever. And while ArcCat is known for being red, they can help you go green. Bam! ArcCat, and by they mean red, they mean the logo. If you go to ArcCat.com, you'll see it is it is red and white all over. I love their colors. Uh, ArcCat provides thousands of lead reports from building product manufacturers on how their products can help you make the green choice. That's right for your project. Head over to ArcCat.com and find the information you need for lead. L-E-E-D. Check that out. Also, this episode is brought to you by Pella Luxury. That's right. We would like to welcome uh, Pella Windows and the luxury brand specifically to Inside the Firm. They are our newest sponsor. We are so thrilled to have them on the podcast. Um, One little teaser I would give is that we are going to have some of their representatives come on the Monday morning coffee shows. Really excited about that. Um, So you maybe have never uh, experienced a brand like theirs before, and that is the collection of brands within the luxury division of Pella. They are the conversation starters, the pioneers of industry who provide window and door solutions to discerning architects, the building industry, and beyond. They have decades of experience creating things no one else in the world is creating, and the collection of brands are brought together to complement and build on one another. I have Pella in my house. I highly recommend everybody looks into it for their houses, the houses they're designing. They don't push beyond the limits. They set them. Explore Pella luxury.com at forward slash the firm that's pella p-e-l-l-a l-u-x 
P-E-L-L-A-U-R-Y.com forward slash the firm. Go to it. Pella is one of our new sponsors. We are glad to have them on board. Go check out their luxury div- division. As architects and designers, I know that you're, I'm always interested at what's coming out, what you can do. So please go browse that. Uh, helps them out, helps us out. We'll be having various guests from them. We'll be diving into windows and things like that. So there's a lot of cool things to look forward to, a lot of good conversations. Uh, transitioning now. Yeah, what do we got, Al? Into a firm. What? What's a, you, you have an inside look at how someone chooses a firm. Oh, yes. I'm so glad we're going to talk about this. This is exciting, and I believe... So let, let me give you a little bit of backstory about this, right? Um, so basically, we were, uh, since one of the last times we spoke, um, which was, gosh, over a month ago, I think, we, you know, because we've been doing these episodes with Lindsay, uh, is we landed our, our biggest project to date. Very excited about it. It's called Franklin Place. It is the largest um, billable project we've gotten, one of the largest scopes we've gotten in terms of the amount of units. It's basically 60 residential units, uh, plus or minus, you know, that could obviously flex. Um, There's eight or nine commercial buildings where there'll be uh, various uh, businesses such as restaurants, uh, you, you name it, right? Retail, stuff like that. And then a church. There's a really, really cool church that we're excited about that we're designing there. Huge master plan project. But what's interesting is, uh, what I wanted to unpack for everybody is um, there was a document that was shared with us, and I'm not sure we were supposed to see it, but it was um, the ownership team going through and uh, interviewing architects. Uh, super interesting to see that kind of uh, feedback loop that we maybe have never seen why people pick us. Because, you know, you'll ask people sometimes, and I know Alex does it, and I do it too, that, hey, why did you pick our firm? And then they'll tell us, and then maybe they're maybe that's not real, right? Maybe, um, maybe it's uh, they are the con- nice way of saying. Yeah, something. they're con- and they're condensing the information, but so we got a, access to a Google document, and some of the some of the things I think that was that was pretty important um, that we saw is uh, from them is <clears throat> why why they picked us, right? Uh, so basically. Let me go all the way back to the beginning here. So they have this. Re- they had this really um, interesting uh, way of. So they they had this like running Google document. Um, so about a month before they picked us, um, they reached out to. Uh, they they reached out to six different firms. They they had one that was maybe the only ava- only only one that's available, and it was literally come down to like when their staff was available. Um, then further on in the do- in the documents, um, then they finally they reached out to us um, about a week later, and we got put to the top. And so I'm going to read you some bullet points, right? Uh, slightly slightly more cost effective than the competitor. Um, big growing team, very confident they'll keep up on our team. More organized in proposal. That was that was a huge one. Um, amazing bonus to have a big picture renderings for selling through the city. So, uh, our so what I want to talk about with a with a proposal, the the comment about more organized proposal, and then the amazing bonus, basically, and I've actually gotten some feedback from one of our colleagues, Joel, uh, who we went fishing with last weekend. Um, he asked me, uh, he's doing his first residence, and he asked about how we have what we do to establish client control 
and throughout the process. And so I said, well, here you go. And then about like when, when additional services would be, um, how, how do you make that decision? And so there's there, I gave him a citation from our proposal and then I literally sent him a, a proposal from a different client. And I said, I said, do you see how it works? And he goes, holy cow, this is polished. So back to these comments from the owners with Franklin was, um, more organized in proposal. Ours lays out the four different processes, right? Schematic design, design development, construction docs, permit documentation. And then we specifically put in example images. So for these guys, it was example images for, from uh, uh, other renderings and what we were going to deliver. And it was it just, it just connected everything for them. Uh, and so that's why we look more organized. The other thing that I did that was more organized is I put together a Gantt chart. And and because they, we had such a, when they originally hired us, um, the idea was we were supposed to deliver our final drawings on uh, April 23rd. We ended up getting it moved to May May 7th. But I I convinced them and showed them through the Gantt chart, like, here's how quickly we can move. Here's here's all the team members involved. And here's exactly how we're going to do it. Just laid out a roadmap for them. And so um, that was the, uh, that, that was the big reason why we won that contract those two bullet points more organized and proposal amazing bonus to have big picture so if you ever get a chance to see stuff like that i think that is is pretty helpful um and just and just some but but it maybe just kind of solidifies what you were trying to what you're thinking and putting out there anyway in the way you do your proposals awesome i love it uh great insights there uh there just a little heads up on, on the market. The lumber prices as of two weeks ago were up what is it? A hundred and ninety-three percent. And there is an article in Fortune dated April 13, and it's about to spike even higher. I don't know if you wanted to dive into it, but man, is that I did bad news. I did want to dive into it. Um Alex is asking me today, like, what is going on with these materials? Um, so <clears throat> there's another article that I'll talk about too, about maybe kind of talks about it. Yeah. The price of lumber is up 193% and even, even get a spike higher. This is actually a month. This is a month old article. Um, but it's, but it's still pertinent, right? So, uh, basically the influx of, of buyers is the reason why in this Forbes article or this fortune article of why they're, why lumber is driving up the price further, right? So on Friday, and again, this is about a month ago. So about a month ago, uh, lumber per thousand board feet jumped to uh, 1,048. I, I just heard that it actually is at $1,500 a, a, a board foot. So it's it just going insane, right? So in short, basically, and I'll read a little excerpt here. Um, quote, it's clearly a short squeeze. In futures and spot markets, lumber yards are overcommitted on their sales and there isn't enough wood to cover, Dean told Fortune. This is a clear signal, he says, that prices will go up more in the short term. From the onset, the pandemic was a perfect storm for surging lumber prices. At the same time sawmills were limiting production during the early months of the crisis, the pandemic was spurring do-it-yourself boom among Americans stuck at home. The supply and demand mismatch was made worse by record low interest rates and historically tight existing housing inventory, which caused buyers to rush to new construction. The backlog is so big that prices aren't falling despite wood production hitting a 13-year high in February. Let me repeat that. So it's not that they're not putting it out, Al. Wow. Basic economics, supply and demand, 
It's the other factors that I just talked about. That's what the problem is, a hundred percent. And that for is all, crazy. and, and it, so, one other point I want to make about the housing bubble, quote unquote housing bubble. I put it in quotes because I don't believe it is a bubble in the sense you can't compare it to two thousand one. You can't compare it to two thousand eight anymore. And if and here's why. And and this is a this is a this is a this is me calling out some people online that I've seen. And and what I call them is libertarian bullshitters. I, I don't understand how they can understand economics so well, but then and and be and, and really get when the crashes are going to come, but then be so wrong about the fundamentals. And I think it's just because they can't afford to get in the market. Like it's not my fault that you're broke. The why it's just distinctly different is. There is a four to one ratio of buyers to available units. That is that is exactly what is going on. You have the record lower interest rates. And I'm going to give you an, a perfect example of what is happening. <clears throat> I had a gentleman walk into this office three weeks ago, comes up the stairs and meets and greets me, said, hey, I found you. I found you guys because of Builder Magazine. I w- I'm looking for an architect. We're moving here from California. We just sold our house. I found out what that house was worth when he sold it. $2.2 million. He's buying a house of similar size, scope, location in terms of being able to see the mountains here for $1.2 million. These people, a lot of these folks that are coming in from these other places, they have all this other equity that you guys are not taking into account. And mm. and they're literally, they're literally not only being able to buy properties that are similar size value probably have more open space you hate it i know more square more square footage more more, just because colorado is less dense than california so far right so and they're able and they're being able to take that profit and put in their back in their pocket so they're getting they're getting more bang for their buck well this is what's crazy too the new house he's buying is what 1.1 yes sir. right so if he just sold a $2 million house and he's buying one for one point, probably one. almost a cash out. But what's crazy too, is that someone in Colorado could be seeing that 1.1 million house and be like, Oh, just last year, that would have been 900,000. That's $200,000 yeah. over. And for him, he's like, this is not a 0.9. You need to 1.1. Right. And, 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 and again, this is all back to the bullshitters again. Like you guys got to step out of your bubble. I, I don't think you understand People who are real close to real estate. My wife and I are talking about... Whoops, let me shut that off. Sorry. My wife and I are talking about real estate every damn night. Every damn night. That's just part of our relationship. And one of the epiphanies that I had when I got it... When I, when we, we, her and I, you know, got into a serious relationship like seven, eight, ten years ago, whatever it was, was like, people just buy houses with cash? What the hell? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't understand the scales of economy that people have. Yep when they are in this upper echelon of income. And so, and, 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 and one last point I'll make about it is, if, if I was to have Marilyn on the podcast right now, and I was to ask her, hey, hun, where, where are the bidding wars most aggressive? And if she gave you categories, she did this, uh, I don't know where, she, we did this a while back with, I can't remember who we were talking to, her and I, but if we, if, what, what, what category in terms of uh, purchase purchases are, are, are being, having the most bidding wars. Is it 500 to seven, 750,000? Is it 750,000 to a million? Or is it a million plus? What would you say? Million plus. Million plus. Yep. A million plus. Those, those are the highest, craziest bidding wars going on right now is in the million plus category. I know a California couple 
that has a house now in Boulder that we're designing a barn. And Boulder County is so slow because they literally... They don't want development. I'm convinced. No, they don't. They don't. Because instead of like increasing production or staff, they just schedule it out longer. Like you literally need to talk to them before you can do anything. And they schedule that out four months. And then after you talk to them, then you can't submit for another four months. So like that's eight eight months right there. And that's a minimum. Anyways... They're kind of upset about the process that they're like, ah, we just might buy another piece of property in the adjoining adjacent county and build our barn there. And then we might build another one here. Like yeah. that that's next. That's a great point. Maybe that'll cinch this up is like, also you guys who are not in the industry, I need you to understand that the bureaucrats have gotten so out of control. And, and, and again, the government has a monopoly on this whole situation, right? So, that's why the supply and demand issue is a real thing is people are not building rushing to build new houses meaning developers and just private people because like it is difficult it is very difficult yep here's the other thing i know developers who stopped developing on a 30 unit project because the pandemic hit if they would have continued i think i said this before like they'd be selling like hotcakes right now We, we, we didn't know though no 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 we didn't know no one knew but another developer now took that over. He can't just turn on the faucet and now hit go. He needs to, oh, this project has been dead for a while. Let's review it, the whole city. Let's, you know, like even that person to start is six months away. So like we can't respond quickly to these market forces yep. because of that. It's literally, it's physically impossible yep. for us to respond this quickly. Yep. So, Okay. Uh, I was reading a book by Jim Quick, Limitless. Have you yep. heard of it? Yep. Are you jumping ahead? I think so. You can. I would rather <laughs> not jump ahead. <laughs> That's okay. Keep going. Limitless. Okay. We can go back. No, this is just this is just a very, very quick one. Um, everyone has heard the saying, with great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. That's the common saying. He mm-hmm. goes, well, reverse it in your head and see what that does for you. With great responsibility comes great power. So we say on this podcast all the time, more responsibility, more reward. And we'll stick with that saying. It's a catchy saying. But if you want more, and and, and power sometimes seems like greedy, something like that, Mm. but just don't add that connotation to it. If you are frustrated in what you're doing, maybe take on more responsibility because then you'll get more power in the choices and what happens and everything else. Yeah, maybe you'll get more freedom. Maybe you'll get more... Yep. Uh, decision-making power in your day-to-life, day-to-day yep. life, which leads to your freedom. Yep. Yeah, Decision-making lo- power is probably like how you would expand this to be. Yeah, because, because I think what you're getting at with the word power is is there's there's a lot of baggage with that yeah. noun. Right? Yep. yep. Yeah. Decision-making ability. Yep. Um, beautiful. So earlier this week, uh, there was a headline that came out, and so uh, I wanted to talk about this too. Again, more inflation stuff, right? I just, I just, I just can't. It just pains me in my soul um, to have leaders of the world deny this idea of inflation when we're all seeing it literally at the gas pump. So from uh, Bloomberg.com, corporate America rides wave of inflation to record profits, and here's here's why. So. Anybody who sat in on one of these profit calls, if you're a stockholder, um, you cannot lie. Like, literally, right. the, you cannot lie. The SEC holds you accountable. But no, who does more than that? Who? Your own shareholders Your own will shareholders. sue you. Yep. Because they are trying to make a profit. And yep. if you lie, you're messing with their... Exactly. Yep. So, setting it up with that, right? They cannot lie. 
from the article. Markets have been obsessed and sometimes roiled for months over whether higher inflation is coming. The latest batch of quarterly reports suggests it's already here in helping corporate America. Who is right first, Lance? Faced with rising prices from, from everything from lumber to oil to labor and computer chips, chief executive officers have cut costs and boosted prices for their products. The strategy appears to be working with first quarter income from S&P companies jumping five times as fast as sales. Data compiled by a Bloomberg Intelligence Show. As a result, their net margin, which measures how much profit companies are squeezing from their revenue, has risen to a record high, according to Bank of America Corp. Here's the important part. Executives mention, mentioned inflation more than any time mm. since 2011 during earnings conference calls last month, according to Bank of America. Warren Buffett joined the chorus two days ago saying price increases are more intense than people would have anticipated six months ago. The billionaire added that his Berkshire Hathaway Inc. boosted prices customers have accepted them. Uh, Warren Buffett, uh, to a fundamental quote, to a fundamental analysis, inflation is called pricing power, end quote, says Nicholas Colas, founder of Data Track Research, quote, and it's very good for incremental corporate earnings. So not everyone is benefiting. A, short, a shortage of semiconductors, for instance, is creating pain for automakers. You've probably heard about that, right? They can't yep. make the new cars. Uh, smartphone suppliers and video game developers. Ford Motor Company last week slashed its 2021 forecast warning. The chip scarcity will cut planned second quarter production in half by Bank of America's count inflation. Wait, 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 wait. Ford production capacity yes. in half? Yes. That is insane. That is insane. Uh, and again, these are these are this is this straight from the straight from the horse's mouth. And and again, the, uh, to reiterate, the reason why it's happening in car manufacturing, it's everywhere. But car manufacturing is that they cut back their orders because of the recession massively. All those chip manufacturers had to pivot, so then they got other orders for like all the PCs and everything else that people are buying. And now they're at overcapacity for that. And then the car companies like, hey, please make our chips. And they're like, yeah, get in line. Yeah, get in line. <laughs> exactly. You got it out. You get it. Yep. Janet Yellen doesn't get it. By Bank of America's count, inflation among corporate executives was most prevalent in the commodity, consumer, and industrial sectors. Uh, so last thing here I'll say is comments from, this is all directly from the article, comments from business leaders are, quote, pointing to at least, to at the very least, transitory, Pointing. Transitory hyperinflation ahead. Ah, moves around. So uh, I want everybody to remember that word because that word, this is this is how the language works, right? The, we're not in control of the language. The media, the corporate elites, those people are... In, so you're, you're going to hear, they're going to try to soften this nasty inflation that's coming about. And suppose, it, it looks like it's going to be worse than the 70s. You're going to call it transitory. Right to soften it because it's, it just comes and goes. Right, comes and goes. Hey, it came comes for lumber goes. prices. It will probably go away. Now it's coming in. What you don't understand, Lance, <laughs> is that it's coming at different times ah. for different products. Ah, different and things. and thus it will also end at different times for different products. Hmm. So even if a bunch of them overlap at a time, and even if more money is coming out of your pocket and your wages aren't keeping up with inflation, mm -hmm. just know it's transitory. Got it. Makes me feel better. Should. Sure. It's like <laughs> transitory. Sometimes you have a house, sometimes you can't pay for it. You're just transitory. <laughs> right? Some, yeah. You're just transitory. Yeah. That's all. Yep. yep. Got it. Good like, to know. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Interview tips. 
Okay. We haven't we haven't talked about this because we've been talking with Lindsay. Yeah. But what are we doing? How many people are we hiring? What do we do? Oh man, uh, we hiring two slash uh, and a third. If that third, the part time one is still on. Yeah, basically three is the way to, I mean, four is the true way to think about it. Two yeah. 100% full-time people who will hopefully be here for at least a year. Yep. Um, one um, basically remote mm-hmm. contract style worker and then one summer intern. All ladies. Yep. yep. And we're excited. Yep, we're excited. So we interviewed at least four, probably six, six candidates yeah. or seven. Something like that. In about two to three weeks. And we had some tips that we want to share with you. Yeah. And the first one, the first lesson, and I'll tell you why I learned this lesson, but the lesson is they are nervous. One, we, we physically saw it. We physically saw people being nervous. Yeah. And I should say half were Zoom meetings. No, no. More than half were Zoom meetings because literally they were that far away. Yeah. And then the other half were, if we could, if they could come in, ideally we wanted them to come yeah. interview a person. And another reason that I noticed, <clears throat> uh, nervous is because I was talking with some of the people at our firm afterwards and I said, yeah, you know, their personality didn't come out. I didn't see as much, you know, they didn't talk as much. And then they, they talked about one of our employees who is a great employees. And, and I remember the interviews from years ago, like, yeah, I didn't talk too much either. Or this person didn't talk at all. You know, like they, like once they actually got into the firm. No, no. But in the interview, like it's not like they were joking around mm-hmm. like in the interview mm-hmm. because I think I said it like, yeah, there wasn't any, you know, jokes and not that you should go out to put jokes. And then I had to remember like, oh yeah, they're not, they're not trying to crack jokes during an interview. Right. You know, they're not trying to, to do that. They're just trying to get through, look professional and, and all that. So that's, that's the biggest one. And then I'm going to go through an outline of, Hey, we learned these lessons. So how do, how do you now apply that? To what you're doing to make the interview go better, right? And Al, is this is this for both interviewees and interviewers, in your opinion, or is it just for most, or or is it just for one? Just for one, but interviewers, but the interviewees can can take something from it okay. for sure. Um, the second point is they are sometimes slash always interviewing you also. Yep. So at least one person did a really good job of coming back at like four or five questions, um, and they weren't just like your typical questions, like, Oh, when do you start? When do you not start? Was like, you know, how's your culture? You know, I can't remember all the questions, but like we often at the end, will turn the table back Mm -hmm. and normally they will just ask, you know, a couple questions and you should have a couple questions in your mind. You absolutely should. But one was like, um, do you remember it? It it, it was like an interview back, like flipping the tables. This is great. Yep. This is great. Good, good for you. And I think they came well. I, it, it reminds me of when we, um, so we also just hired uh, the gals over at Blossom Marketing. And uh, they are, we are so excited to have them as our new social media and just just marketing managers. Um, but they won, they won the, I mean, there's multiple reasons why they why, why they won our business. But the one of the, the biggest reason I, I even told this to Aaron was, you guys researched us. You acted, I mean, you gave a, you gave a shit about us. Yep. So the same thing should happen. Like, if you're if you're going to be interviewing with the firm, you need to do some research, yeah, and and have those questions listed out because we actually want to be interviewed. We want you to like pull some stuff out of us so that we can help you understand how what you're this would to. work out. Yep. yep. Um. So uh, this outline, like, I'm suggesting we change how we do stuff because if someone's nervous, 
they might just be nervous, but they might be a great candidate. Yeah. And 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 if you don't allow them to come out, then you might miss over a nervous candidate that's going to be awesome because of the way that you interviewed, right? So I think the first thing to do is start them talking about themselves. Open up. Why do you want, you know, like, why are you in this profession? What drove you through this? Like, get something positive flowing from them first before you get into asking questions about, you know, what is this project about? You know, uh, what did you do at this firm? Instead of like grilling them at the beginning, somehow the first two to five minutes should be a question that gets them to kill the nerves, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, it, another example of that is like, hey, tell us how you got from point A to point B. So from high school to here. That's mm-hmm. another question, right? Another thing that I learned, <clears throat> listen for keywords, right? So here's an example of a couple keywords that people said multiple times, not the same person, but different people, right? So one person used the word different four times. One person used the word sustainable four times. One person used the word impact four times, right? What that means is that it's going to give you a clue of what they are expecting. They're expecting to do something different, work on different projects. They're expecting to do a huge sustainable impact. Um, or just have projects that have impact. Now you know, hey, are their expectations going to be met at our firm? Are they going to be happy at our firm or not? And let's say it's one of those things that is at your firm and you notice that they talked about it a lot. Now, when they're interviewing you or you can talk back, you can talk back in their same language. So you can get the client that matches you. That's one thing I noticed and tried to pick up on on every interview, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh Someone did this to us too. So Sonos is basically soundproofing materials. And one of the first things that they asked us was, what don't you like about other suppliers? And then we gave him a whole bunch. And then throughout his presentation, he was able to just spoon feed us back. We don't do what you don't like. We don't do what you don't like, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And we bought from them. So good for them, right? Uh, Then I would say dive into questions look at their resume, go through that. Then we always kind of end with diving into their portfolio after their resume. And then um, at the end, you flip it and you ask them if they have any questions. If they are super nervous, Mm -hmm. I would probably flip the portfolio before the questions. Tell us about one of your projects. I saw this project. Yeah, get them going, get them talking, loosen them up. Yep, exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, so there, that's what we learned. I hope that helped out. I think the key thing is to get them to open up and then listen for keywords. Oh my God. I am embarrassed. You know what? what? I don't even have ready, but now I'm going to get it ready. Keywords. You know, who's back? Nick, Nick Renard. He is. Yeah, he is. He is. Uh, had a great time with Nick probably four weeks ago, went and had dinner with his wife, uh, and my wife. And so it was a little double date. He was so gracious. Thank you very much for that meal, Nick. My wife uh, wants to hang out with you and your wife again. So hopefully you come to Colorado and we can treat you maybe to some fresh trout. So without further ado, Nick is back with Nick Reads. Hello, best friends. I hope you had a great week. Wait, a great couple of weeks. The last few weeks. A reading. Work like hell. I mean, you just have to put in 80 to 100 hour weeks every week. This improves the odds of success. 
If other people are putting in 40-hour work weeks and you're putting in 100-hour work weeks, then even if you're doing the same thing, you know that you will achieve in four months what it takes them a year to achieve. Our best friend, the Doge father, Elon Musk. Toodles! So, that that's funny. Um, because they're notoriously for working a lot. But then when they had their Tesla Model 3 ramp up, and he was working all the time, he's like, no one should work this hard. Do you believe, so... <clears throat> Power of 10. Yeah. Isn't that a book? Didn't you read uh, that? No, no. You did too. 10, 10, 10 X. Grant, 10 X. Grant Cardone. Cardone. Yep. So he has this. So uh, Brett, and my, my oldest son and I, we tried to listen to it. We uh, were driving up for ice fishing this winter. Couldn't do it. It was just it was just too much. It was just too much. And I think Alex and I kind of came. Uh, Grant Cardone is great, but it's just too much for me. I think we came to the conclusion that all of these uh, um these kind of books, they focus on the one thing and they exploit the one thing. Mm-hmm. Good for them. It makes sense, right? Uh, fig- figure it out. But what I was going to ask you is, do you believe, but, 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 but there is some truth to what he's doing, right? Obviously, he's made other people very successful. He's very successful. This 10X, this 10 number, this 10,000 hours, and then you become a master. Mm-hmm. I think there's something to 10 years working your butt off and then you get to the point where you can start to take some time off and pull back a little bit and do the things maybe that you missed out on for 10 years. Maybe fishing. Maybe fishing. Maybe you are addicted to fishing and now you're at the point in your career. We do you think there's any truth to that? Because I feel that way with the firm. It's been 10 years, over yeah. 10 years now. Yeah. We have systems in place. We have staff in place. We need to keep maintaining those, keep people hopefully here. And growing and, and happy to grow and, and start to literally get ownership yep. um, and more profitability in, the, in their pockets and stuff like that and share in that. What do you think about that? Um, I think there's some truth to that. I think also, too, even on the lesser level, because I've been at firms where we worked, I don't know, from we didn't start at Leipzig until 10 a.m., but we didn't quit, quit till 10 p.m., you know, at the most. And what I noticed was there was a lot of stuff that didn't need to get done mm. that got done. So it's, it, it's also what you do. And I thought like, man, because there's times that we could have worked more and worked longer. It's like, okay, if we would have got more business, then, then maybe that would have been worth it. But if we would have just, because there's things that, there's a whole bunch of graphics and other things that we could have made. How much of a difference would that have made? Like, I, I don't know if that would have made that much of a, of a difference. Um, we could have made even bigger construction sets. How much of a difference would that have made? I know it. Exactly. Uh, honestly. Yep. Um, so I think when when you do limit the time, I think that allows you to cut out some fluff, right? Because if you go, I'm going to work 80 to 100 hours, I don't think you're cutting out any of the fluff. But if you have real goals and real deadlines and you only have 40 to 60 hours to do it, you got to go, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. And those things aren't needed. Um, so that was my first thing. And then to answer yours, yeah, I think there is something to that because over the 10 years you learn what's what's important, what's not important. And then it depends where you are at life. So let's say you you do want to go fishing, right? But let's say at 10 years, like, no, no, I got to work 80 hours. So that what? So that then in 10 years you can go fishing in Colorado? You're like, wait, exactly. I already live in Colorado. Yep. So I can just, go, you know, yep. so. You got it. Yep. Um, okay. 
I think what's next is uh, Airy Jeopardy. Let's bring down the team. Bam, bam. All right. Question number one. What group occupancy is a prison? Dun, dun, dun. Is it A, which is A1? Is it B, which is R3? Is it C, which is R4? Or is it D, I3? What group occupancy? Got to know this in case we get that big federal prison yep. contract. All right. Three, two, one. Hold them up. D, 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 D. Nothing. D. It is D. I3. I3. And if you don't know, you can guess. There's Basically no... institution, right? Yep. Okay. Makes yep. sense. Uh, question two. Uh, con- oh, concrete poured. <laughs> I'm going to type that for you again. Yeah. Concrete poured at near freezing temperatures shall A, be covered with blankets. <clears throat> B, heated with lamps. <clears throat> Jeez, what's going on here? C, comply with ACI 318 section 5.12. Or D, be poured within a two-hour window. Concrete poured at near freezing temperatures shall. Which one? A, B, C, or D? I know it. Three, two, one. A, A, so cover D. What is D poured? D, what did you put? C, you are correct. Can play. Hannah got it. Yeah. Congratulations. So, yep. Uh, yep. Thought it was a trickster, but it wasn't. Sick. Badass. Probably. <laughs> That's what I was going to guess. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take away your license. Which is How about a, that? Yeah. Building fall down, go boom. <laughs> Number three. What is the most popular alternative to traditional litigation and often specified in contract documents? Is it A, private judges? Is it B, Binding arbitration, is it C, mini trials, or D, mediation? What is the most popular alternative to traditional litigation and often specified in contract documents? AKA the contract. We have B, B, D. You, you got to guess. guess. Just guess. What did you do? C? I said D. You said D? The correct answer is B. Who got it? Anybody? Two people. Good deal. Binding, binding ar- arbitration. That's the that's the goal. Okay. Number four. What is the least costly alternative dispute resolution technique? Is it A mediation, B arbitration, C litigation, D a duel with either swords or guns? I like it. D. D is probably the most least costly. Uh, have ah! you seen Have you seen ammo prices? Okay, ammo prices. <laughs> All right, we ready? Banned in some areas now. Okay, A, 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 C. You did C, Tyler? A, A. Correct answer is A. All right, what do we got for numbers? Three, three, three one. one. We are two, a tiebreaker, two. Bill. Okay, tiebreaker. Mark, come Mark on Architect. Come everyone, on. enjoy the Hawaiian shirt. Hawaiian Mark shirt Pedler. Friday. Mark Pedler, everyone. Uh, where are we? Okay. Eat the mic. Tiebreaker is going to be a lightning round, so fastest person to show me the answer. I love wins. it. I love it. I love it. Everybody ready? How's it How many square feet are in an acre? Everybody, you got to remember this for the rest of your life. Honestly, that's it. That's it. Congratulations. It. We're eating. Forty-three 
The answer is 43,560 square feet. And when I was studying for the ARES, I made that the unlock on my phone. So that helps you remember it. Oh, what a good technique you got, Mark. Sick. All right, well... Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you didn't already know, Inside the Firm now has a YouTube channel where you can actually watch the episodes if that's what you prefer. Subscribe now for to win a piece of Inside the Firm merch. Or if you prefer podcast style, it would mean the world to us if you could leave a five-star review for us if you enjoyed the episode. That is how more people find the podcast. Now we can help spread more value. But no matter which category you fall into, if you're looking for the latest updates on Inside the Firm and special content, follow us on LinkedIn or Facebook at Inside the Firm or Instagram at Inside the Firm Podcast. Thanks for joining us at Inside the Firm for another great episode.